Exodus chapter 2, let's pray and we will get started. Father, thank you for every man, every woman in this room. Lord, you want to speak to your people this morning. Father, your people, we want to hear your voice. So be with us. Holy Spirit, open our ears that we may hear what you are saying to your church. Father, I pray that we would be, church wouldn't be something that we do, but we would be your church, your hands and feet in this world, in our generation. Father, thank you for everything that you're doing. We love you, and it is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Every Christian said, amen. Let's start. We've got some extra time this morning, so let's go back and do some stuff I wanted to do last week, but we didn't have time. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15 before we set up Exodus. Remember, Genesis 12, 15, and 17 are all huge chapters in Genesis where God is calling Abram out of his pagan roots to make a people out of him and to give a land to that people that he makes through Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. The reason we're going to start in Genesis 15 this morning, last week we read about a genocidal, crazy, evil leader named Pharaoh who enslaves God's people, who tries to uh, destroy the children of God's people, that they will stop growing and they will stop flourishing, which was the promise that God made to Abram. I'm going to grow them. They're going to flourish. Man tries to stop what God is doing, but... Everything. Some of you might in our world, in real time right now, some of you may turn on the television or, or get on your news application, whichever one you prefer, and you might see the things happening in the world and you might be scratching your head going, could it get any worse? Everything is planned. There are reasons for the suffering and the hardships. Do you know what's happened in the past two years here at Four Points? All right, COVID hits the scene, pandemic, the world shuts down, all this crazy nonsense. You know what happened? Church grew. You cannot stop the hand of God on planet Earth or in eternity for that matter. Everything, nothing catches him off guard. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's not in heaven on his throne right now, wringing his hands, wondering what he's going to do next. He knows all. Omniscient, that's a beautiful word. He knows everything. And he lets Abraham know what's going to happen. Way back in Genesis 15, what we're reading about in Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 2, God was telling Abram about it generations before. In chapter 15, verse 13 through 14, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. 
but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. We're going to see God's people loot the Egyptians before they march off into the freedom and into the land that God has provided for them. But Genesis 50, 50, listen, whatever it is that's bringing fear into your life, God knew it beforehand, and God has prepared you for it, and all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. Amen? The trial may have stopped you in your tracks, but know that God has known, God has planned for this moment in Israel's life, this moment in your life. He may seem silent, but he's not absent in the suffering, in the tragedy. He prepares his people for this. Look with me now in Genesis chapter uh, 46. Everything is planned, and everything is all right. It's a song there. Chapter 46 and verse 1, we'll just read a couple of verses down through verse 4. So Israel, that's Jacob. Remember, he wrestled with God a few chapters before God, his name changed. The entire nation, now this people God is growing, take the name Israel because of the wrestling that Jacob did with God. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. Now Beersheba is an important place. Abraham worshipped God there. Isaac worshipped God there. And now the third of this generation of God's people worships God in Beersheba. Isaac offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now remember, Jacob and Joseph have been separated The brothers conspired against Joseph. They told uh, their father Jacob that he was dead. Look at his coat. They had killed a a ram and smeared the blood uh, all over Joseph's coat. And they told Jacob that a wild animal must have torn him to pieces. We found his coat out in the field. God makes a promise to Jacob now. Go into Egypt. Don't be afraid to take your family into the foreign land because when you die, you and Joseph are going to be reunited. Your son that you thought you had lost, he's going to be the one there by your side when your eyes are closed. There is a reuniting that is happening, but God says to Jacob, don't be afraid to go. So many times as God's people, we become paralyzed in fear, unable to move because of the circumstances that surround us. But God's people are never to fear. The the most often quoted command from God's mouth to his people throughout the Bible is do not fear. Why? 
Is the church so cowardly? Why will the church not open the Bible and say, thus saith the Lord? We are not to be afraid. Why? Because everything is planned and everything is all right. God is in control. And Jacob, even after receiving this great promise as he worships the Lord in chapter 47, verse 9, and, and Brent, why are we doing We need this. Because how many of you have heard the promises of God and then walked out here and been like, mm, ah, maybe for somebody else, but not for me? Lord, help my unbelief, amen? Jacob even has a hard time. After hearing the Lord speak to him and tell him, it's okay, I know what I'm doing. You're going to Egypt for a reason. When Jacob does get to Egypt, he says in verse 9, Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Jesus is calling. <laughs> Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojournings. Right? God made promises to Abraham. And as a kid, Jacob knew Abraham and knew Abraham's faith and what God was doing in his grandfather. And he knew what God was doing in his father, Isaac, this, this promised son that was given to Abraham and Sarah in his old age. Have you ever felt less than, man, when I read Luther and Calvin and Swingley and, and all these great reformers, and when I read these great theologians and these great pastors who loved God and, and did uh, awesome works by God's grace through them, sometimes you just feel less than, amen? Jacob even feels less than, man, I really was watching God do an awesome thing in Abraham, my grandfather, and in Isaac, my father, but me, eh, I'm not so sure where I fit in. Hey, listen, you're in good company this morning, amen? If Jacob has, Jacob has no idea, we're going to be talking about him and calling his name out some 3,500 years later. We're still talking about what God did in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Jacob, in this moment of soft reality, we see into his heart. He's not so sure, even though God has promised, and we all have fallen into that trap of not, not feeling, not seeing, not believing the promise of God for us right now in our time, in our life, in our family, in our church, in our city. Whether we feel it or not, God's good to his promises. Everything is planned and everything is all right. Exodus chapter 2, let's go. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. Now, we're fixing to learn about the birth of Moses, a great deliverer. 
that God uses to bring freedom to his people from the bondage and the slavery that they find themselves in. God's people are bound up. They're not in control. Pharaoh, Egypt is in control of their lives, of their futures. They don't have a choice. But God, we're going to read, is making a way where there is no way and is going to bring freedom to God's people. And in verse 1 here, we meet, we hear about a, a Levite marrying someone else from within his tribe. Their names are not even mentioned in chapter 2. We don't know their names until chapter 6. There's a reason for that. God wants us, his people, his people that were reading this historical account thousands of years ago, and his people today reading this, he wants us to know. There's two midwives were given names in Exodus chapter 1. Hebrew midwives. Nobody's from nowhere. Their names are mentioned. We don't have Moses' parents mentioned here by name. Why? Because God wants his people to know there's nothing special about this family. This is, this is not some, some mythical account of some Achilles-type demigod figure. No, there's nothing special about Moses. There's nothing special about where he comes from. He's just the guy that God is going to tap and God is going to anoint and God is going to use. You, wanna, you, know what, you want to know what's awesome about Moses? This, this man that God used greatly in the lives of millions of people. He doesn't, we're going to see later, he doesn't make it into the promised land. Because he's not the Savior. He's just a picture. He's a shadow of the one who is going to come and truly save, not just from physical reality, but from spiritual bondage, from spiritual slavery and sin. Jesus. Did you know we don't even know where Moses was, he's just buried out in the wilderness. Why does God do things like that? To keep you and I from being idiots and building shrines and worshiping people that don't deserve worship. Amen? There's only one who deserves worship. His name is Jesus. He's the only one found worthy to unroll the scroll in Revelation to bring time and space to an end and wrap it up in eternity forever. He's the one. We don't worship people. We worship the God who created people and uses people. Amen? This, I'm having a good time already. I turn with me to Exodus 6 real quick because I want you to know who his parents are. You want to know what else I love about his parents not being named in this chapter? Not only were his parents not rich, not famous, not only was there nothing important, the Bible never says they were even spiritually any good. Man, God brings, God's the one who can take a turnip and squeeze it into a, a nugget of gold. That's who God is. We learn about Moses' parents, though, in Exodus chapter 6. Now, we're going to start in verse 16 and read through verse 20. And it's this genealogical, so just stay with me. These 
are the names of the sons of Levi. Now, again, before at this time, Le- the tribe of Levi is not even the, the priestly tribe. They've not been called out or set apart yet. None of the law has been given. Remember, this is early in Israelite history. God's making, we're in the beginnings of God making a people for himself through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his 12 sons. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni and Shimei by the clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram. That's Moses' dad. Izhar, Hebron, and Uzziel. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Malai, Mushi. Uh, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Verse 20, Amram, one of the sons of Kohath, took as his wife. Now, I would just pronounce this Jochebed, but that would be wrong. It's uh, Yoheved. Yoheved, his father's sister, the father of Levi. And she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram, being 137 years. So here's what happens. The son of Kohath, Amram, marries the daughter of Levi, which would be his aunt. And they have Aaron, who was three years old at the birth of Moses, and Moses. And we know Moses has a sister. We'll meet her in a second named Miriam. So, Levi is actually both the grandfather and great-grandfather of Moses at the same time. <laughs> I just thought that was cool and wanted you to know. <laughs> Some of you might say, ooh, gross, yuck, why? But there were no rules, there were no laws. The incestuous laws don't come until Leviticus. We're early in history. Listen, we all come from the same place. Adam and Eve populated the world the first time, but then God made a new creation by saving Noah through the water, through the ark. Now we all come from the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is how God multiplied humanity upon the earth. So a man from the house, back to Exodus chapter 2, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, underland fine, she hid him for three months. Now, what was the command? Pharaoh had charged the midwives if sons were born to kill them right there at their birth. When the midwives disobeyed Pharaoh... He told all the Egyptian people, if you see a Hebrew son, a new Hebrew-born son, throw them into the Nile River. We're going to stop this people from growing and flourishing. We're going to stop what God wants as man tends to think they can do. So when Moses' mother, Yehavad, looked at this little boy that she had just given birth to. She saw he was a fine child. That word, some of your Bibles will say good. Some will say beautiful. It doesn't mean the, the, the child had anything morally good. 
It just meant it was a healthy, right in the ancient world, kids died all the time because of the, the, the archaic conditions. When she looks down at this little boy and, and sees he's a beautiful boy, he's a healthy boy, she hides him for three months. Now, there was actually some ancient ancient realities where a woman, when she gave birth, she would stay away for three months. This would have been easy to hide the child the first three months of his life. But I want you to see what spiritually is happening here. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. Because this is mentioned. Hebrews 11, 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Why did she hide this child for three months? Because she had faith in God instead of fear in the king. We do not fear man as God's people, as his sons and daughters. No, we fear God. And in faith, we do what we do to please God, to honor God, not to please man or to honor man. I think we need a new network on TV, don't we? Verse 3. When she could hide him no longer. As every mother in here knows, kids cry. Three months old, maybe sitting up, maybe starting to even crawl around. That's a little early, but maybe, maybe so. Definitely found his vocal cords, not sleeping as much as newborns do, up more it gets impossible to hide the child. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket. Now, that word is, you know, we, it's translated basket, and that's a good translation, but there's only one other time this word for basket is used in the Old Testament. The only other time it's used is in Genesis. Speaking of the ark that God placed Noah in, this word, uh, teva, it can be translated basket, ark, chest. It can even be translated as coffin. It's crazy, right? But it's the same principle. I mean, this word is used on purpose here to show us that as God made a new creation through Noah, through the, the water trial, there's another water trial that is happening, but it's going to bring deliverance. Trials bring the glory of God. Trials, sufferings, hardships bring deliverance. God is at work. Everything is planned. Everything is all right. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with Bitumen and pitch, tar and pitch. She waterproofed this basket that she had made. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Why would she put this basket containing this child in the, in the, the reeds? A couple reasons. Number one, the reeds would hide the basket and the child. 
where it wouldn't be easily seen. The reeds would also keep the basket from flow. The, the Nile River runs from south to north, so the current, uh, it would, the reeds would keep the basket stabilized and, and keep the baby where the mother knew and the sister, as we see, knew where it was. The reeds would have also given a, a tiny bit of protection from the, the predators. Alligators in the Nile would have provided some protection for the baby. But imagine being a mother and your baby putting in a basket and sitting in the Nile River because the Pharaoh wanted him dead. What... What is Moses' mom doing? I can't hide you anymore. I have come to the end of my ability to protect you. So I leave. I'm going to do everything I can for you. She makes that basket. She makes sure it's waterproof. She puts it in one of the safest places she can think of. But ultimately, she says, you are in God's hands now. I've done everything I can do. If you survive, it's going to be up to the Lord. Faith moves Moses' mother to do what she does, not fear. She is celebrated for her faith in Hebrews. Verse 4, And his sister, who we know her name as Miriam, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. So, Last week we met two unbelievably courageous and heroic women who said no to the most powerful man on the planet because they feared God instead of him and they did not kill the babies. We know them by names. Here in chapter 2, the first 10 verses, we're going to meet three more courageous, heroic women. You know, in a, in a very patriarchal society in a society in a time in history where women were nothing more than property that belonged to men the bible god never speaks of women that way amen they are remembered they are celebrated listen moses would be nothing moses wouldn't even have survived if it wasn't for these women who had faith in God. And instead of obeying a king, they do everything they can to thwart the evil plans of the king, of the one who is in control. It appears on planet Earth in the nation of Egypt, Pharaoh. Ladies in, in this room, ladies of four points, Be the kinds of women we read about in the Scripture. Women who love God, honor God, fear God, obey God. Don't be scared, as we said last week, to put the tent peg through the man's temple. Those are the kind of women of faith we need. Not Karens, women of faith. you got to love the faith of Moses' mother. you got to love the faith of his sister. She's his sister peering out behind a tree, behind something, waiting to see what's going to happen. You're going to love her faith in a moment. 
But now we meet verse 5, the fifth woman in Exodus, who happens to be Pharaoh's daughter, the evil, genocidal, infanticidal dictator, bringing his oppression and his tyranny upon an entire people group. His daughter, we see, is nothing like him. Isn't that good? Isn't that a message in and of itself this morning? You, I don't know where you come from. Maybe you grew up and, and your dad was an alcoholic and he beat your mom and he beat you. Listen, here's great news. You don't have to be anything like your father. Oh, sure, you're going to look like him. You might see him when you look in the mirror. You might have some personality traits that reflect uh, his DNA in your body. But you do. I meet people all the time. Well, this is my parents were this way, so I'm going to be this way. Our family was this way, so my family is just going to be this way. And yeah, there might be a natural draw to being like them, but you don't have to be anything like them. By God's grace, through the power of God's spirit, God's doing a new thing. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come, amen? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me, Paul told the Galatians. We are God's people, new in the spirit of God, saved and delivered through God, the Son, God in flesh, Christ Jesus, who lived the perfect life that we have not and died in our place for our sins. Faith in Christ this morning. New creations. This daughter of Pharaoh, man, her dad is a cold-blooded killer. But she is a woman of grace and compassion. And she's empathetic. She is everything that her father is not. There's some great irony here in these last five chapters. Verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him. God opens the heart of this Egyptian princess to have compassion. She knows what kind of child this is. Perhaps she sees the child as circumcised or, or perhaps there is uh, some uh, ethnic reality to the Hebrews at that time where you can just look at someone and say, that's, that's a Hebrew, that's not an Egyptian. We don't know how, but she knows this is a Hebrew child. She knows there's a death sentence on this child's life. She knows what her father has commanded. But in that moment, when she looks down at Moses, she takes pity she shows compassion. This is one of the Hebrews' children, she says. 
Now Moses' sister, Miriam, older sister. Thank God for older sisters, amen? Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call, now watch this, shall I call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse this child for you? Miriam's a smart little lass. She doesn't make it about the baby at all. How can I serve you, princess? This is about you. Twice, she says in one sentence, how can I serve you? How can I do for you? Smart girl. Empowered by the Holy Spirit because God is in the business of saving life. Amen? And he uses sisters and he uses mothers And he uses princesses. He uses all kinds of people to do his work in this world. And I want to be one of those kinds of people. Amen? We are a reformed church, but that doesn't mean God's sovereign, so we sit on our hands. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Jeremy's with me. No, we are an active people. We are a people who understand we have been specially placed for such a time as this. We're God's people, God's men, God's women. We have importance in this culture, in this world. God has put his words in us. We are people of the book. And like we tell our children... Use your words. We are called to use the words of God that he has placed in us. Moses' sister comes running. Let me do for you. Verse 8. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. Yahweh. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Now we know this nursing process was at least three years long. There are some commentaries who talk about the Egyptian educational system and a a child wouldn't go into the educational system until age nine. So... Moses was with his own mother for at least three years, possibly up to nine years of his early life. And his mom, who put this little boy in God's hands because she couldn't protect him any longer, this same woman is now paid to nurse her own child. That's God. Just like we're going to see God's impoverished people, heavy burden of slavery on their... We're going to see them marching out of Egypt with all the gold they can carry from Egypt. This is the way that God works. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He's good to his plan. He's good to his purpose. And he gives his people everything they need to flourish and to survive. God always equips those whom he calls. Did you know I was in full-time ministry six months after I got saved? 
yeah, that's stupid, right? <laughs> that's not the way things work around here, I can tell you that. Hey, new believers out there, yeah, we need to put you in full-time ministry. No, but it was, just, it was just God's work in my life. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't ready for it. I didn't know anything except I had a great Savior. And that's all I needed to be used by God at that time. Who He calls, of course we have nothing to give. Of course we have nothing to offer. But who He calls, He equips for his work, for his purposes, for his plans. He's, he uses this little guy, Moses, who doesn't even deserve to be alive. He's going to make even secular experts say Moses is probably the greatest human leader that has ever lived. I mean, imagine leading a couple million groaning, complaining people through a toxic wilderness. Yeah, that's fun. Ooh, and he didn't even get paid. <laughs> He's just doing it because God said to. This is the way God works. Moses' mother is out of options. Can you, can you imagine the thoughts going through her mind as she is nursing her very own child and getting paid to do so? Moses. The king's edict was that these Hebrew boys should be killed. And now this Hebrew boy, she's getting paid to nurse. Her own son is under royal protection from the very king that wants to kill him. This is how God works. I don't know why I'm <laughs> I've never breastfed, so. But I know how it looks. <laughs> yeah, sermon's over, right? This is how God works. This is why we should not be afraid. This is why we need to have faith. Because when nothing appears to go well, when it doesn't look like, all, when it looks like all the cards are stacked against us, this is when God shows up. This is when God reveals himself. This is when God proves once again to his people that he is in complete control. He is the good shepherd. We shall not want for anything. Green pastures and still waters are his future destination for his sons and for his daughters. The stupid sheep. <laughs> Let's read this last verse. When the child grew older... She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she, being the Pharaoh, named. You know, we, we remember Moses. It was a pagan woman who gave him the name by which we remember him. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, the name Moses... From an etymological view, when we try to figure out what does this name mean and where does it come from, it's, it's quite a complicated name. It's got both Hebrew and Egyptian in the name. Have you ever heard of King Thutmose? Mos, Moses? Right? There was four of them. They were a, a, a powerful Egyptian dynasty that this, is, uh, uh, the, the, this child is named after. 
That Mose, that, that, it means son of. Many people, in fact, say Moses' name means son of the Nile. He was drawn out of the Nile. But there's also the Hebrew part of this word. Right, the Hebrew word for drawing out, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's in this name as well. And commentators have scratched their heads trying to, to figure out exactly what this name means. Here's what I can tell you. This name didn't just come to the daughter of Pharaoh's head by chance. This isn't just some spur of the moment. I like the name, so I'm going to name him most. No, she had year, at least three years to think about what she would name this child. Which is why this name in its etymology is complicated and and has both Hebrew and Egyptian in it. Named after pharaohs of Egypt, but also after being drawn out of the Nile, born of the Nile. My favorite commentary where, where he landed is this. Moses' name represents that he might be out of Egypt. But he had God's hand on his life. And the God part in Moses is what wins out in the end. Moses is going to be educated. Did you know foreign princes from all over the ancient world at this time would be sent to Egypt for their education? Moses, over the next 40 years, he's going to learn about astronomy. He's going to learn how to tell what day it is from the, from the stars and the moon, the calendar of the ancient world. He's going to know diplomacy and politics, art and architecture. He is going to learn. The be- he's going to receive the best education you could have had 3,500 years ago. He's, he's born in Egypt. He is of Egypt. He's under royal protection. He's a son of the Pharaoh himself. But he's also the one, through a water trial, who is going to lead God's people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. He's going to be the one who leads God's people, pillar of fire at night and cloud by day. This is Moses, son of the Nile, the one who was drawn, the one who should be dead, but God preserved for a purpose and for his plan. Men and women of Jesus Christ, church in Christ. Here's what you need to know today. Here's what you need to know for you yourself, for your career, for your family, your children, for your church, for your time, your free time, for your city, for your neighborhood, for your cul-de-sac, for your neighbors. Everything is planned. You are not where you are by accident. And everything is all right, even if it doesn't look like it. God is in complete control. Faith. May this great cloud of witnesses we find in Hebrews, may our names in our generation. Jacob, you're moving to Seattle, man. That's a whole new world, (laughs) a whole new life. But guess who's already there? And guess who's prepared the way already? Jesus. It's not by accident. 
Nothing is by accident. We don't believe in fate. We don't believe in destiny. We believe Christ is all. That's a last kingdom. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that drives into us time after time after time, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. Thank you for hammering into us faith. You are good. You can be trusted. We depend on you and nothing else. Father, may it be so even more as we leave this place this morning. As you were with Moses, so will you be with us. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.